This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. Football. Come on! Football! Oh. You know, sometimes I hate when the Vikings play on Monday because you have to wait so long for the game. And you, get a, you get up on Sunday and everyone's all excited to watch football. And, and then the Sunday gets done and... Then Monday, you wake up Monday, okay, I still have to wait till Monday night to watch the Vikings, but yesterday might have been a top five all-time red zone day. Oh, my God. How great was that entire day? I I mean, first of all, it all starts with, because, you know, for the first week, I I was at uh, the Packers-Vikings game, but it all starts with your old friend, your old pal. It's like a long-lost friend. Scotty Hansen comes back. You know, I'm a not by choice. I get Ceciliano. Oh no! Because I run it through the, the what you call it, the Direct TV package. Oh, because I, I have the I have purchased the streaming package. Oh, oh you gotta have you gotta have my and Scotty. that is an impossible job. And Andrew Ceciliano is listen like there's not that many guys that can even attack that job. No, but let me true. just say there's only one Scott Hansen. There really is. There really is. And I mean, it's just fantastic. But yes, you are right. As far as a red zone was designed for this day, yesterday was it. Phenomenal. And I'll tell you, I was I was bouncing around. We were uh, we were bouncing around to some of the some of the bars in the neighborhood here, and I was very pleasantly surprised. Two of the bar, we went to like three or four different places. A little snack here, a little drink there, whatever. We'll get some steps in, and uh, two of the four places we went had red zone. Oh, nice. And that is, I feel like if you're a bar, and Judd and I have talked about this as a side consulting gig. How many times do you go into a bar and they've got the wrong channel on or they, they don't have, you know, okay, it's it's noon central time now and it's time for football games to be on and no one's paying attention. Then you have to ask the bartender. I went to a bar one time like 10 years ago in Denver. I think it was Peyton Manning's first year with the Broncos. Mm-hmm. And we were on vacation during Vikings bye week. And uh, we walked into some dive bar 30 minutes from Denver, like out toward, like past Boulder, some, somewhere out in the Bahoonies. And this bar had like 20 different TVs. All of them had laminated, laminated, printed and laminated yes. guides taped on the bottom of the TV showing you what game is going to be on at what time. At noon, this game is going to be on. And then at, you know, whatever, three o'clock, whatever the hell time it would be in Denver. So you know what? That is a bar that gets it. 
So they, oh, yeah. they they have a bar TV like a, a football TV bar game coordinator guy that goes around yeah. before my, everyone gets in and that's my job. Prints I want that and job. laminates sheets. I want that job. That's the <laughs> look. If you have a sports bar, if if you have a respectable sports bar with you know tons of TVs, you should run it like a sports book. Like your TV approach should be. You should go to a sports book and find full-time out job, what their one person's is. full-time job. Yes, exactly. Benefits. Right. Yep, everything. And I'm talking about for all sports. Now, now, football is the creme de la creme. But I'm talking about for all sports. You should have like you should never have a TV that's gone dormant. No, you know, and, a TV uh, with oh, there, there's a Cheers rerun on because the game ended. No, no, that can that can go. I'll tell you what. I don't. I don't know if this Twitter account still operates. And by the way, we will get to statements, NFL related statements. Uh, later in the show, the wild wild training camp oh, is starting here. We are we are moving past largely the Minnesota Twins, who just got their asses kicked in the first three games. Well, there was a couple close games, but the season's pretty much over. Um, but I would add this to the to the TV. What are we calling this position, by the way? Uh, TV game day coordinator, manager, president, director, president, president of sports TV operations. I yeah. want a president's title. Damn it, PS TVO. Okay. The, the the PSTVO of of the bars. Right. Um, I there used to be a Twitter account called like bananas, like sports bananas or something, mm-hmm. and it would tweet. I don't know who ran this, but it would tweet out any time of day or night if there was even like a random college basketball game, inside two minutes tie game. Oh my god, bananas on ESPNU right now. You got you, everyone. You got to turn the channel. Like right, CBS Sports Network right now. There's an Atlantic Ten game that's coming down to the wire. Turn your channels to CBS Sports Network. You need that hype guy in the bar. Okay, guys, guys, hey, yep. uh, I need CBS Sports Network up here. Everyone, there's 30 seconds left. Yep. There's there, the the <laughs> Dayton Flyers are out of timeouts. You let's watch what happens. Who wants I, another round? I love this. Here, here's the key: put a red light above each TV, and if there's a bananas <laughs> game, Whoa. it goes <laughs> off. You got to go to TV 34. TV 34. It's unbelievable. That's a great idea. Over here, up, up, on the end of the bar, there's TV over here. I love, that's a great <laughs> idea. Oh you just my need to clone God. John Taffer and just put him in numerous bars like this. Like, you got to get red zone on. This is a disgrace. No one yeah. wants to watch the Jets and Browns. You know, you know they, they, they want to watch something. Every time my wife and I walk into a bar, we're all, we always make some John comment Taffer. about, like, what would John Taffer say about this say over here? Thing. Ooh, it looks yeah, like he yeah. just looks like the bartender slid a free drink to a friend there. Are you running a business or are you running a place to hang out with your friends? Coming up next on Bar Rescue. All right, let's start with uh, Judd Zolgad here. NFL statements from a glorious Red Zone Sunday. All right. Uh, my first my first uh, statement is not about a game that was close, but a situation that I think provided clarity. And I will say this. My statement is the NFC became tougher on Sunday, which, of course, involves for the Vikings. Trey Lance's injury, while sad for tr- for Trey and his friends and family, makes the 49ers a better team. Jimmy Garoppolo is a better quarterback right now. Now, Trey Lance might have been fine. I don't know. But if you saw Garoppolo and and how his teammates reacted to him once he came in that that game, and the fact that he is a known quantity, and the fact that he is a very, very competent, I don't know that he's a Super Bowl winning QB, as he proved, but he's a very competent QB. And I think with Trey Lance, there were a lot of questions. With Garoppolo, there's 
a lot of knowns. I would say the San Francisco 49ers became a bigger contender for 2022 in the NFC on Sunday because of Trey Lance's season-ending injury. I just want to point out that insincere Judd making an early yes. appearance here 10 minutes into uh, the week of shows. Yeah, friends. I'm sure you do. No, you don't. I feel, I no, feel you bad don't. for him. As a human, I feel bad for him. As a football fan, yeah, you know what? He's been replaced by a better quarterback. It right is now. sad. I mean, he the guy the guy's barely played football since even college. He's played like a season yep. and a small handful of games. And uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think right now maybe he has a higher ceiling, and maybe once they kick that Garoppolo contract, they've got twenty seven million extra dollars to spend on other players. So maybe the formula would have worked better long term with Trey Lance. But yeah, the the Niners kind of went from hmm, what are they? They just lost to the Bears in Week One. I don't know. To oh, okay, that team's probably winning eleven or ten, maybe eleven games when it's all said and done. Uh, all right, my first statement. The Lions are no longer a pushover. So they beat the Commanders 36-27, to and the Vikings will have to start scouting the Lions after they play the Eagles tonight. So we're not going to... We'll do the whole Lions-Vikings thing later in the week, mostly on Purple Daily. But the Lions are already staring at the Vikings because that's their next opponent this coming Sunday. The last four games for the Lions dating back to last season, they're averaging 34 points per game offensively. Over their last eight games, the Lions are 4-4, four and four, including a win over the Vikings. Jared Goff, over his last seven games, 17 touchdowns, three interceptions, a 105 passer rating, and 65% completions. He's starting to look, if you go back to the end of last season and then the first two games this year, he's starting to look a lot more like the guy that peaked under Sean McVay in like years two and three for him. Small sample sizes. I think there was a game against Packer backups at one point, maybe in uh, week 18 last year. Um, but the Lions, they're, they're regularly putting up 30-plus points. Their defense is kind of a sieve. Yes. And and that is no longer just – and nor was it last year. The Vikings almost lost it twice to the Lions last year. But it's no longer a game on your schedule where you're like, Whew, all right, exhale, the Lions are coming to town, or vice versa. Um, they look pretty they, – they're fighting, and they look pretty impressive. They're a fun team now. But yes, I, I think they're I think the Vikings can score a ton of points. Detroit can now score though. And at least they are at, at least they're fun to watch. Like how many games have or years have we been like, oh, red zone's going to the Lions, stop it. Now the I, now, I love it now. It's great. The break for the Vikings is this the Bears do suck. So I feel like for 2022, the Bears are basically playing the role of D- Detroit. So it does help. But I mean that Bears. And Detroit's team. kind of playing the role of the Bears. We're like, yeah. they're not terrible, but they're not a they're not a pushover. You know, they might win six or seven games or something. They're fun there to watch. A, there was an epic rant, I think, Kyle Brandt on Good Morning Football today talking about can we please stop the Packers and Bears rivalry primetime game? Like it, it's just <laughs> oh, an like yeah, dude. It's been an ass kicking right. for twenty years. Even with right. Favre with Rodgers, the margin of victory with Rodgers is like sixteen points. The margin of victory with Favre is like fourteen points. It has not been a rivalry. It, it, it has been completely one-sided. And we get it every year. We always get Bears and Packers either on You're Sunday right. or Monday night every single year. And yes, <laughs> it was a gong show. It was just the Packers and Aaron Jones running up the score. Yeah, I'm trying to pull it. it. So I, I'm pretty sure I saw yesterday on the game, it was like, including playoffs, Rodgers is 23-5 and five against the yeah. Bears in his career. I own you. 
But he's and, and, he, and, he, he and he does. Yes. And he's right because the Bears, for the most part, just stink. And now they are epically bad. Like yeah. this yeah. team now. They, they're bad. The the rain in Chicago in week one against San Fran was an absolute gift. Yes. Without that, they don't win that game. They are epically bad. Yeah. All right, Declan. All right. My first statement, I'm going to disagree with uh, Judd here. Uh, my statement is is that there is not a team in the NFC that looked has looked definitively better than the Vikings through the first two weeks. Huh? No one in week two was that surprisingly good to me. No one in week one really stood out outside the Vikes. The Bucks, to me, even though 2-0, and seem like a ticking time bomb, man. I mean, it just... It's ugly. Brady is frustrated. There's he's very personal stressed. things. Yeah. He looks like he's, he's as skinny. skinny as I am right his now. Like there's something wrong. That's yeah, his wife hates so, him. I'm so team Zell on this, by the way. What has, so what what's all has, is it that she she basically said, All right, dude, if you're just gonna keep playing, I'm done putting my life and career on pause. So I'm gonna go do some of this stuff. You figure out what to do with the kids, peace out. Is that kind of what's happening? I, I don't think it's it's more of the first part, right? Like she's sacrificed all this stuff and she's done all these things for her kids and for the family too, I should say. And now Brady was going to enter retirement and then he was like, ah, not so fast. I want to come back. And she's pissed off about that. What is what is he doing? Because he, so yeah, so he, there's, there's nothing, the only thing that can happen on the field for him, like winning another Super Bowl is not going to, people aren't going to be like, oh, okay, all right. Now he's the greatest quarterback of all time. I just need to see that one more Super Bowl with Tampa. He's already he already won. He's already the greatest quarterback of all time. Yep. He is sitting on whenever he wants to pull the trigger on it, a 10-year like 350 400 what is it like a 400 million dollar contract with Fox yep. to just jump right into his next career and be a dominant broadcaster. And he's had this and I don't know, we don't know her behind the scenes, but this amazingly supportive wife that has kind of put her career on pause, and she's yeah. beautiful, and she's a great mom, it would seem, and all these things. But he needs one more bite at the apple in the NFL. Like, what, dude? He can't give really? it up. Yeah, can't give it, it up. But at the at, to sacrifice your your marriage over this, I, at, I can see if you're 32, it's like, hey, listen, I can only do this for a certain amount of time. This just needs to be done. He's like 45. It, it, it's not the same as the 2010 Vikings. I don't think their roof is going to collapse, and I don't think their quarterback's going to be knocked unconscious on the field by the end of the season. But it just it feels like that Bucks team is collapsing. And just looking around the NFC, I know the Rams and Falcons, it looked a little closer, and there's a little more flukiness, in my opinion, than that was the Falcons coming back. Um, but the Niners getting Jimmy G, like, yes, Jimmy G is better than Trey Lance right now, and there's a lot more knowns. But I don't look at just swapping Jimmy Garoppolo for Trey Lance, and all of a sudden I'm scared of San Francisco either. So obviously the Vikings will have to play on Monday night football, but I don't see a team in the NFC that is definitively better than the Vikings. Or looks they, more they, impressive they need to the win tonight to, to really validate that take. Cause the other teams have played two games and they've played one, but like, yeah, there's not, there doesn't we, seem to be a front runner right now. And we probably need two months. Like, like, because teams are going to change and morph and improve. So, so like I, I don't make that statement about how things are actually playing out with teams until November, probably, because it changes so much with, within the first two months and teams find find identities and or lose them as well. I would say this, you, you can definitely make the statement, but if you would have made the statement a year ago or you know even like eight weeks into last season, the Cardinals would have been on your list of, ooh, sure. look out for this team. 
Yeah. I think it's what does the team look like in November and December and who is ascending and yeah. But like step one is put yourself in a position sure. to be among those teams yeah. in November and, and you got to win games like this to make that happen. All right. Now the fun stuff. Now the fun stuff, because I saw a lot of football and some of it was gloriously entertaining at the end, but some of it was absolutely terrible. And it's helping me gain what I like to call clarity with coaching jobs. And I just want to go to Denver and say this. Nathaniel <laughs> Hackett ain't going to survive. Five, four, four three, the Royal Rumble. two, two one. one. Ah, it's unbelievable. Russell Wilson. The, oh, had to be... His own fans are mocking him in game two. And and he deserved it. He is not he is not going to make it. He is a human train wreck. I don't know. I'm trying to think of the last coach I saw who was this unprepared to be a head coach. It's Childress, insulting. Yeah. Childress in year one had some blips for sure, but I don't think it was I don't remember the last guy who essentially could not get plays in on time, manage the clock period. Like he he doesn't check one box for coaching 101 in a Pop Warner league. <laughs> I I am starting to wonder if he's going to make the entire season. It is a disaster and Russell Wilson is his quarterback. So it's not like it's it's um it's you know some young QB who's screwing up and he can't process it. Like this is all on one guy, Nathaniel Hackett. Gone. You know, I, I think yeah, I, I I half jokingly tweeted yesterday after one of the debacles. It was I think it was the well, I tweeted, would you fight? Would you consider firing Nathaniel Hackett after two games? And a couple people in like the sports betting and analytic world that I'm friends with responded, not joking. Yes, I would. Yes, this is it is the things he's doing are not like oh you fix it for week three. He can't process the speed of calling plays and situational things and clock management. So yesterday, mind you, this is a week after they passed on a fourth and five with one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL to kick a 64-yard field goal in Seattle, sort of like windy Seattle. Only two guys have ever made that field goal in NFL history, and they said, no, this is... And then he doubled down after the game, too. No, I would do it again. Okay, guy, why don't you pump the brakes? So now we're back at altitude here. We're in Denver for week two, where you actually can make 60-yard field goals, and it's it's kind of like kicking a 52-yard field goal. And uh, I think they were they were lined up. They were trying to line up for a 54-yard field goal, but he was indecisive about whether to go for it or not. So he didn't run the field goal team out until there was like 13 seconds left on the play clock, and they're scrambling, and they actually somehow got the snap off right before the play clock expired. And McManus drills it right between the up, if I'm remembering correctly. But Hackett panicked and called timeout because he saw the play clock running down. Didn't get the timeout off in time. Right. Took a so actually, you know, I'm wrong then. It was a delay of game because they didn't yes. get, they, they barely didn't get it off. Yes. So they move him back to 59 yards. Okay, well, you know, you trusted him to kick a 64-yarder, not at altitude. Now it's a 59-yarder at altitude. And he's like, now nah, now we're going to run the punt team out. <laughs> Dude. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Oh my god. Against the Houston Bleepin' Texans. Amazing. They are gonna get drilled by teams. Well, but this is where I think see Russell Wilson spent so long kind of under the thumb of Pete Carroll and he he led in his own way, but he also 
because, you know, he won the Super Bowl when he was this young quarterback that was kind of along for the ride with a great defense and he was managing. And I wonder, like, that dynamic, I think he wanted to get out from underneath. He wanted to be more of an owner of the offense and the team. But he's been in sort of half deferral mode throughout his entire career. And I wonder, and he looks like he's, he's a very, like, affable, kind of agreeable guy, is a leader when he needs to be. He's going to need to take the reins on this. Like Peyton Manning did ten years ago, and I'm shocked he I'm shocked he didn't yesterday. I'm no. shocked he didn't. We guys, one. Th- this is this is my listen, guys. I know what I'm doing, Nathaniel. Maybe at some point you will, but you're new to this. Go take I've seat. got this covered. Yeah. So, and I, I believe uh, they are slated for a Sunday night appearance next week. So basically, the the reason why he very well might not make it is two of your first three games because Russ is there national tv right mm-hmm. so like his flaws are going to be exposed in single games because like yesterday you... he could sort of fit in and it's the texans oh what's going on in denver right he is going to have two of his first three games with everybody watching him actively screw up i know that football is so complicated you can't just like remove a coach and then bring a new coach in you can't like install a new system mid-season you have to keep you have to keep running the things you've been practicing for six months in the offseason but just from a leadership standpoint, cool, keep the scheme the same and change it next year. There was a guy doing TV on Fox yesterday during the pregame who's made it widely known that he is not done coaching. And everyone keeps talking about the Cowboys as a destination. Sean Payton to the Broncos would make maybe even more sense. If you're Sean Payton, would you rather spend the next five years working with Dak Prescott, who's fine, or with Russell Wilson, who's maybe not Patrick Mahomes, but he's better than Dak Prescott? And if you, and again, this is crazy, but if Hackett, again, on national TV, looks totally unprepared to be a head coach, I don't think any owner would eat the multi-year guarantee contract he probably signed. But if Sean Payton and his agent back and said, you know, he's got the itch again. You'd have to trade yeah. for him, I think, because I think the Saints still have his rights. But, man, yep. how could you not be looking over there saying, God, if we only had a guy that knew what he was doing. Mm. At the very, very least, if I own the Broncos, I believe Hackett is calling plays, too. I go and say, who's your best friend in the entire world who knows you inside and out as far as play play calling goes? He's calling plays next week. Like, to have this guy trying to manage the clock, and play, it's just, it's a debacle. It's not going to yeah. work. He can't um, process. My next statement is brought to us by Judd's weight loss journey. 40 pounds, kept it off over yep. a year now. Yep, that's exactly right. And that, that, of course, is thanks to, as I've been talking about for a long time now, my friends at Livia Weight Control Centers. That's right. It's not a diet place. It's weight control. And, and folks, in the last, I don't know, month or, or so, right, Phil? We have gotten note after note and comments about folks who have joined the program and lost weight and are saying, you know what, Judd, first of all, if you can do it, I can, and they're exactly right. And second of all, it works. It's simple. And right now, if you join, your first eight weeks are free. That's right. Lose all the weight that you can for eight weeks. You're going to be feeling great. 855-GO-L-I-V-E-A. Livia, L-I-V-E-A dot com. Join the growing list of folks who have found out that weight control is possible with our friends at Livia, L-I-V-E-A dot com. All right, my next statement here. God, there's so much. We need like four hours to dissect everything that happened yesterday. Red zone. So, 
Um, I think my next statement is, despite everything we just said, I, I understand the shot that Denver took with Hackett, which is get an offensive-minded guy in here. They're, you're not going to bat a 1,000. Hell, he was a finalist for the Vikings job. The Vikings dodged a freaking bullet with Nathaniel Hackett. So, but, my, but despite that, my statement is, having an offensive mastermind head coach is getting close to being a prerequisite in the NFL. Again, not all of them work, but yesterday... One of the most fun games we're going to see all season happened in Baltimore, Maryland. Oh. I believe. Or was it in Miami? Baltimore. It was Baltimore. in Baltimore, Maryland. Yeah. Oh. The Baltimore Ravens had a three-touchdown lead at the end of the third quarter. And then Tua unleashed to Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell. The Dolphins come all the way back, 42-38. to 38. Tua... Who I think I feel I feel like people were just like unnecessarily dumping on him. We you know we didn't really get a chance to see him with great offensive minded coach, weapons, everything. And it's only been two games, but oh my god, he leads the NFL in passing yards through two games in part because he threw for four hundred sixty nine of them yesterday, six touchdowns, and a game winner in the final minute. Tyree Kill, eleven catches for a buck ninety and two touchdowns. Jalen Waddle, eleven catches for a buck seventy-one and two touchdowns. That's absurd. Mike McDaniel, take a bow. Who knows? The wheels could come off, but the Dolphins are one of the most fun teams to watch in the NFL, and it's because they have put an offensive mastermind next to weapons and an accurate quarterback. Sounds down, familiar, by the way. Sounds down familiar. by three scores going into the fourth quarter. Down by three scores on the road. That, my friend, is why I love sports. Lamar Jackson, too, was amazing. He had 318 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. He ran for, he had a 75 yard rushing touchdown, too, ran for a buck 19 touchdown and lost. Needs a contract, by the way. Get that guy a contract. I do love me some Mike McDaniel. I, lo- I love just a, a nerdy, weird guy just taking the bulls by the horns and, and getting those fins swimming. Big fan after, of it. After the game, Tyree Kill did a, one of the on field post game interviews with, uh, I think it was for with Kimberly Martin from ESPN. And she asked him some question and he goes, listen, he grabs the mic. He's like, don't even, you don't even ask me questions. I'm just going to talk. And he just starts saying, Mike McDaniel, Tua, they both going to need a wheelbarrow of cash after this season's over. Just like, just pumping their tires. And people laughed, you know, he made all the comparisons and said, I know I played with Patrick Mahomes, but Tua is more accurate. Tua is this, that. I mean, I think everyone would take Patrick Mahomes, but. People kind of laughed at Tua. Come on, man. There's there's no way. But he looks really good in the first couple of games. There's a reason why he was such a highly touted player coming out of college. So big yeah. fans. Yeah, let's go. All right. My next statement is I do not miss Kevin Stefanski. So mm, I understand wow. that the Browns, more the piece of pie of the blame of the Browns' demise right now, or just in general vibe, is more on the ownership and the general manager than it is on Kevin Stefanski. He's the head coach. He's not the one who's actively probably trading for Deshaun Watson, but he's still the face of the team. And yesterday, the Browns have a two-touchdown lead against the lowly New York Jets, and they allow the Jets to come back with a 99.9% chance to win the game under two minutes to go, and that honestly just comes down to coaching. Um, look, the, the, the Browns two years ago were a play away from being to the AFC title game. Chad Henney had to come in for the Chiefs on five wide on fourth down, and 
basically ice that game, which is still one of the most stone-cold moves I've ever seen Andy Reid do with a backup QB, putting in him in for five wide on fourth down. But when I'm looking at the Browns and Kevin Stefanski, and, and look, he was a valiant soldier for the Vikings for years and kind of got buried behind the shuffle and rightfully so got a head coaching gig. He was qualified to get one. But I'm just looking at that Browns team and just how this, how sour things were with Baker last year. At the end of the day, like the image kind of does fall on the head coach and how he handles all of that. And yesterday's collapse was kind of just, it, it feels more like classic Cleveland Browns, right? Like it looked like they finally turned things around two years ago. And now with the Deshaun stuff lingering over them, their management's being buffoons and trying to walk the line during those press conferences. It's, it's classic Cleveland. And I don't miss Kevin Stefanski, and I'm glad the Vikings have Kevin O'Connell. Wow. You're, <laughs> we should bring back Declan wants someone's ass fired. Fired. Good. So we're doing it on, on Purple Daily with, with Boone, trenches with Boone. Old, old Macadac is firing people's asses every week. I think on Mackie and Judd, we need Declan to fire someone's ass every single week. I can Love do it. that. Let's bring, it, let's bring it back maybe sometime this week. Um, I feel like, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm, still, I'm still in on Kevin Stefanski as a coach. They're just. This is a season where they had to rip the Baker Band-Aid off, and now they're going with a backup quarterback for the year. And I get everything you said. They allowed the Jets to come all the way back. But I'd like to see that product with Kevin Stefanski with an actual legitimate top 10 quarterback, which I think Deshaun Watson is. So I'm, I'm going to wait to bury Stefanski until we see him with Deshaun Watson. We might not get to see a lot of that until next year because like, he's not coming back until... December, for God's sake. So, but that was bad. That was definitely bad. Joe Flacco lighting you up for three hundred and four yeah. touchdowns. My well, that, goodness, that last drive was incredible. Like the Browns Joe absolutely Flacco. folded. Joe Flacco that was not a good is Joe Flacco elite. Joe Coming up next, six five one six four six. The answer remains no, but that's fine. He was elite once, and it was during a playoff run. God bless him. Uh, Jed, any other me? any other statements here? Yeah. Yes, yes. To... Uh, my next statement is this. This is why you put up with malcontents. I'm talking about what transpired in Vegas between the Raiders and Cardinals and Kyler Murray, who it does sound like there's a lot of just sort of sketchy stuff about him as a teammate and, you know, does he watch film and blah, blah, blah. Um, and he certainly has seemed to turn more sour in the last year or so. But all of that being said, if you watch that game and that comeback by the Cardinals, it was powered by one guy. Kyler Murray's legs and athletic ability and and his ability to change that game because of that was absolutely off the charts. There are quarterbacks who can do that, but it's a small list. And And there was, I think it was the tying touchdown. I believe that the that the statistics on that were were I think he ran officially like I don't know twelve yards or something. But anyway, he ran eighty yards total, and it, 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 that was a two point conversion to bring him within. Okay, two point conversion, eight, I believe. Yeah, and and he had the ball in his hand, navigating the field for twenty plus seconds which is unheard of, damn near impossible. Yeah. But what he did yesterday is why you at least put up with the crap because there is, again, probably right now, might be a handful of quarterbacks in this league who can do that. And with that team, it had to be him. Like, like it wasn't like he was ignoring great play. Oh, you know, yeah. Larry Fitzgerald was open. No, he's retired now. So anyway... This is why you put up with the crap to try and find a quarterback who can do things like that. You know, I got into a little debate on Twitter yesterday, shocking, I know, with a number one Kirk Cousins fan, our guy Joe Spinoza, who we've had on Purple Daily before, oh. to defend the honor of, of oh. Kirk Cousins. And 
earlier in the offseason, I put together my quarterback rankings. I think I had Kirk 14th. I had Kyler 10th. And then Lamar was like 11th or something. There's kind of a hodgepodge of guys between 8th and 14th that, you know, the gap isn't that wide. You could probably make a case any given Sunday. And uh, and Joe Spinoza came out yesterday and said, for anyone who thought that Kyler Murray was better than Kirk Cousins, come on now. Like, is it not obvious now? I said, that's not, it's not an absurd take to say that Kirk is a better quarterback than Kyler Murray. I think it's obvious Kirk is more obsessive with preparation, certainly shows up on Sunday. I mean, Kirk is just very much more diligent, prepared quarterback. The fact that they had to put a clause in Kyler Murray's contract to get him to watch film is a big red flag. But then you watch the end of that game that you just described, where, all right, you're down by 16 points with, whatever, a quarter to play, and everything's kind of going haywire, and you just need a guy to bring you all the way back and take over the entire game and convert two-point conversions, etc., and that natural ability is why Kyler Murray is still a measurably better quarterback the last couple of years than Kirk. Now, Kyler stock falling because of weird chemistry issues, just the, the vibe seems weird. Kirk stock rising because of Kevin O'Connell and the vibe being different to Minnesota. Yeah, could I see at the end of the year people largely putting Kirk above Kyler Murray in their meaningless quarterback rankings? Yes, but the end of that game is why you still say, oh my God. Yep. Look what that dude can do on a football field. So, uh, Dex, any other football statements from you here before we turn the page? No, I'm uh, I'm good to go. You can check out uh, okay. Purple Daily's YouTube page. Though realistic, Randy and I talked about uh, Kirk Cousins kind of shedding some mold and kind of kind of proving some haters wrong and seeing if he can kind of rise up and and kind of change the perception of him. We talked about obviously Kyler Murray right there. Can we can we move Kirk? Can Kirk allow himself to be put in the next echelon? It's on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. It's a pretty good combo. Also, so that's that's a great conversation. Uh, we dug up, too, for a Purple Rewind episode that was posted yesterday. We found the first hour of the Mackie and Judd show from March 16th, 2018, where we reacted to the signing of Kirk Cousins and everything. You can hear our first impressions of the signing and see how much we've changed or not or how wrong or right we were. Find that on the Purple Daily YouTube page and podcast feed as well. Uh, boys, we made an executive decision here over the weekend once the Twins lost the first three games of the series against Cleveland. Congrats on a big bounce-back win yesterday to cut the division lead to six. We said, you know what? The audience hasn't been responding to a, to our Twin stuff lately. The team is just tanking. Let's start looking forward. And we will. there will be a couple little Twins conversations sprinkled in here and there just to kind of put the season to bed. But ultimately, let's look forward to the optimism surrounding, I think anyways, I think it's optimism, surrounding the winter sports teams that are about to embark on training camps. And we start on this Monday with the Minnesota Wild. Well, Judd, you want to lead us off here? Do you want to take uh, the face off here? Sure I will. Sure I will. Okay. Thursday, Thursday, first day on the ice for training camp. That's right. Right around, I believe. Dude, that's crazy. The first uh, preseason game, if I'm not mistaken, is like a what a week after that if that so anyway so in a week and a half the wild are going to be on it, the ice it, playing actual hockey yep and i will exhibition. be in the x observing taking mm. notes pontificating judd's hockey show returning on a full-time basis yes binoculars in line combinations God, mm-hmm. great. Mm. so here's my statement my statement is it's rossi time it's rossi time enough with the hype 
enough with the teases. Oh, he's doing great in Iowa. Now he's going to play a game with the Wild, but then he's going to go back down. Uh uh uh. Marco Rossi, you can you can talk all you want about Ryan Hartman's projected as our top center going into the season, and Eric Sinek is too, and blah blah blah. Marco Rossi is now at a point in his life and career, healthy as can be, coming off a really good minor league season, which, by the way, was smart, but it is now time for him to make an impact. And by that, I mean to play a lot. I mean to be successful. So, like, this is not a cute story. There there are guys who who were drafted around him who are now playing full-time as well. So, like, this is not a reach of, oh, it's only been a couple years. No, it is. Marco Rossi time and the and the Wild, if they are going to be as successful as they want to be this season, need him to make an impact at a very difficult position, but he needs to show why he was a first round pick. This is I, I am not down on him at all, but I do think that there is definitely some pressure now to prove yourself to be the player that Bill Guerin expected you to be. Mm. Yeah, he's going to be damn good, dude. I mean, the Wilders haven't had a legit center prospect like this in years, too. That, that's, this, that's this highly touted. Um, you know, Charlie Coyle was coming up a little bit when he was traded from the San Jose Sharks, but they've had a lot of good wingers come up. Grandlins and Nita Riders and Zookers, and they've had plenty of decent wingers that have come up and have been successful for them. I mean, having a center, man, that it's it's like having an ace. It's it's in, in, in baseball. It's it's a rarity. It's hard to find. It's even more harder to make him homegrown. And he has all the pedigree in the world. I'm a Judd. Like, and don't put him just on the bottom six role. And and Bill Guerin has said that numerous times. He's not just gonna be called up here to play some 12, 13 minutes on in the bottom six. If he's gonna play. He's going to play meaningful and impactful minutes. I'm excited to watch him, too. Who do you guys think at the end of the season will be regarded as the second best player on this wild team? Hmm. That's actually a really good question. Dismissing, like, Spurgeon, who who they'll try and sell as that? Let's say among forwards. Among forwards. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um... I would, I would hope, I would hope. That's right. At the that Ross Macadac making you guys think about yeah. hockey. That's right. That's makes hockey. me miss. Makes me miss the whisper though. I would love a, a full Judd's hockey show breakdown of the like the, the. You guys should set your own betting odds for who will the second best forward be behind Kirill Kaprizov. I think. I think you're, Rossi. You're I think Rossi stands a real chance of being in contention or should be really uh my get my guess my guess is just off the top of my head my guess is it's boldy but um that would I think be a Ross- big i mean wouldn't that be huge for the team if boldy yeah. ascended absolutely. to be the second best player that would be great too yeah absolutely but with where rossi plays and to, to dex's point and he's right with the fact that he should be by the end of the season the top six guy Mm-hmm. It should if if Marco Rossi is the second best player at forward for the Wild to Kaprizov, it should not be a shock. Mm-mm. Like I mean, if if you're going by points, like Zuccarello probably is going to be second Zuccarello. because he's going to be yeah, passing yeah. and getting probably like sixty assists. Thirty five. He's like my age, he's like yeah, my age. right? But I mean, but I guess that's the, the parameters guys. of what you classify as the second best player. If you're going by points, then I honestly I'll. I'll give me Matt Zuccarello. He'll probably yeah. be second in points because he's going to be feeding Kirill Kaprizov and he's going to be on the top line. Yeah, but in, in terms of impact and, and and like actual stardom, because, yeah, Matt Zuccarello's on the other side of 30, yeah, it's probably yeah. Boldy or maybe even Rossi. Doesn't this feel good, guys? I mean, we could have we we spent the last five or ten minutes just oh. 
just little, depressingly burying the Twins again. And here we are. We're, hockey. we're projecting who, how good the Wild can be. God, this is refreshing. Mm. And I want to tell people that thought, oh, well, what are they doing? They're trading. They're getting rid of Fiala, and they're you know what are they? They're just Fiala. they're dumping defensemen to try and make up for the cap situation. Oh God, they're going to take a step back. I've heard that on Judd's hockey show too. But my statement is the demise of the Minnesota Wild has been greatly over-exaggerated this offseason. In fact, Stake.com, not S-T-E-A-K.com. I'm sure that's a great website, too. Great. Mm. Uh, S-T-A-K-E, like stakes, you know, like betting. Okay? Thank you. Stake.com <laughs> has projected point totals for each conference a couple days ago, going into the weekend. And so this is what one sort of sports betting website thinks. They got the Avalanche far and away as the best team in the West. Again, they are projected at 111.5 points. Oilers, 103.5. Flames, 102.5. Wild, second in the division, fourth in the conference. At just 99.5 roundup, they're, they're projected to still tally 100 points as a team, which would be down from last year. But if you're telling me, hey, there's some there's some sports books out there that think this is a 100-point team, I would take that all day long. Yes. So here's so here's why I here's what I'm eager to see, all right? I have some concerns in goal. At Flurry's age and he can't play a ton. Like he'll play a lot, but he can't it can't be like, well, Flowers hot, he's just going to play uh the backup that they got from the Sens to, is unproven, and so I think that there's a little bit of concern there. And well, you could always trade for a, a veteran on an expiring contract midseason, like a Cam Talbot, if you needed to. <laughs> Very funny, and and I am not going to underestimate the loss of Declan's guy. Fiala is a major loss. Like like he gave you. I I don't know Declan. That that there's you know a boldy who can just step into that that role. I mean, what Fiala did when he got hot last year was special. Now Kaprizov's so good that I think we're like, well, yeah, but he's not Kaprizov, and that's very true. Um, but that's where I'm curious because scoring goals and finding guys that can score goals is difficult. And Fiala for a month and a half is that mm-hmm. correct? Yep. Gave you a heater that you can't replicate by by saying, hey, Matt Boldy, go score goals. It doesn't work like R- that. Real quick, analytics, uh, analytics Macadac is going to jump in here just for fun, and this is probably more of a Declan question, but I'm just going off point shares, which is kind of an all, it's all, kind of like win shares in baseball. It's not perfect, but it's an all-encompassing way to measure your impact on how many points your team scored. And Kaprizov, number one by far on the roster, he was worth 13 point shares, Fiala was second at 9.2 among skaters. So Matt Boldy played exactly, he had exactly half of the total time on ice as Kevin Fiala. So Fiala logged, actually it's a little less than half. So Fiala logged, let's just call it 1,400 minutes on the ice, and Boldy logged 700 minutes on the ice, so exactly half. So if you double Boldy's, and it's not this easy, but if you double Boldy's time on ice and you double his point shares, he would have been 8.6 point shares behind Fiala's 9.2. Mm-hmm. So he was he was very productive in oh yeah you know yeah. half the season or so at age 20. So if if he if he gets a year older, gets more ice time, 
I think you're you're not looking at a huge drop off between what Fiala gave you and what Boldy could give you at age 21. Just gonna throw it out there analytically. Yeah, you're not gonna I think replace him. Just one of you, one. I mean, Fiala had what like 89, 90 points last year. He was he was unbelievable, and, and a lot of that came in the last six, seven weeks of the season. But can you get guys like Boldy and Goudreau and Rossi and all these committee guys basically to absorb some of that and basically spread that 90 points around two to three guys? You potentially can. Um, look, Fial didn't deliver in the playoffs either. Like I, I love the guy. I think he's a dynamic forward when he's hot. He's legitimately one of the better players in the NHL when he's at his, at his zenith. And he just commands the puck and he can do a lot of great things when he's playing his best possible game. Uh, but I do think the Wild aren't shipwrecked from losing a guy like that. They have candidates that can step in and still be pretty damn good. Um, you know, piggybacking off Phil's statement is, you know, the, I think there, there is some type of, oh, do the Wild take a step back, right? Like, and my statement would be the Wild aren't going to be a disaster next year. So, so Phil threw out his, his, his stakes website, whatever, whatever that is. It's not filet mignon. No, I'm actually, actually on stakes.com, the other one here. More of a uh, uh, New York strip kind of guy. I, that, that's, uh, that's my choice if I was at Manny's right now, New York strip. I love me a good New York strip. I know people would say the ribeye is like the prime. And it is, ribeye. I'm not, I'm not denying that the ribeye Silver is Silver butter the king, and steak, dude. But, you got to get that. Just but, uh, that's what you get give, there. Give actually, you know what? There's, uh, there's some sort of like some French... Bread. Some French web, I don't know. The, uh, when you go to steaks.com, like the food Uh-oh. spelling, it takes Uh-oh. you to a this site could be risky landing yep. page. So yep. you're about to get in a lot of trouble. Mm. Uh, but but if, if you really look at even FanDuel too, like the Wild, there's only seven teams that have better odds to win the President's Trophy in the NHL right now than the Wild. They're minus 380 on the money line to be a playoff team, which means that they, the, the odds are they're going to be in the yeah. playoffs. They'll firmly be in the top four or five teams in the Western Conference. They have a superstar player in Kirill Kaprizov, not just a nice player like Kevin Fiala. Oh, and he's hot. He's pretty good. They have a superstar. They have a core of defensemen who are one of the best groups in the entire NHL. They have up-and-coming players, the number one prospect pool in the league. Marco Rossi should be a stud. The Wild have a stew that can get hot and surprise people. So, yes, I think, you know, what, 112 points, 100-plus points last year, and that looked like one of the better wild teams I've seen in my lifetime. And there might be a step back from 112 points. It's not going to be a step back where you're clawing and fighting your way probably for the last team, last eighth spot in the Western Conference. The Wild are still going to be pretty damn good this season. For the record, the projections beyond the Wild, so Wild 99.5 points for the, the fourth-ranked team in points. Uh, Vegas, 97.5, Nashville, 96, Blues, 95, Kings, 95. I think these are just over-unders. Stars, 94, Canucks, 92. So they have 10 teams that are all kind of clumped. It's jumbled. The West is jumbled. And then you go Jets, 87.5. And then after that, there's like, like they got the Kraken next as a formidable team. But there's basically Kraken, Ducks, Sharks, Blackhawks, Coyotes that are kind of outside looking in, and then the other 11 teams are all very much in the playoff picture. So That leads to my to my next statement, too. So this is based on, on what we saw, more importantly, in the playoffs and also from the Q&A that, uh, that Russo did in The Athletic with one Dean Evason, and it's this. The head coach needs to be better. The head coach needs to be better. Mm. We we get on Baldelli and the boys for not adjusting at times, right? And like, what's what's Rocco doing? And you know what? All justified, all incredibly fair. Uh, but we need to go back to the fact that in the playoffs, when the Wild needed some help, 
when they needed to make adjustments, perhaps a goaltending change, uh, certainly line combinations, matchups, Dean Evason was slow on the trigger. And that's not acceptable. Like you can't, coaching plays in the playoffs a huge role. Adjustments in, in the playoffs in hockey are huge. When you get to the playoffs, Dean needs to be far better and his entire coaching staff than what we saw. Because what did St. Louis do? Baruby adjusted quickly. Bang. They lost. Adjustments made. Um, Dean basically sat back and like said, eh, th- things will be fine here. We're, we're going to stick with Flower or we're not going to change the lines up or we're not going to try and match it. No, no. You don't have time. You don't have time. A best four of seven is done relatively quickly. Dean Evason needs to do a better job of coaching this team, especially in the spring, than he did last season. Mm. I think just preparing the team too, and he talks about this in a in a Q and A with Michael Russo last week. That you know, just preparing the team for the playoffs, that it's a different feel. You know, he's he's coaching them up differently, and he's preparing them differently. You know, the Wild were mostly pretty damn good for the majority of the season last year, and they had made all those moves at the trade deadline. They bring in the decorated goalie that is Mark Andre Fleury, and kind of changed the vibe a little bit in that locker room. But he kind of just sat back and said, "No, this will figure it out. It'll figure it out." And I am I am under the belief that hey players, your players do have to give it. They have to be the ones to make the adjustments. But man, you can't just be sitting there when your backs are against the wall against a, a good St. Louis Blues team. And they said they'll just they'll figure it out. That was a mistake by Dean. He, he that that was a definite mistake, and he has probably learned from that. And hopefully, he has to learn from it going into this season too. This is great. God dang it. I miss these winter sports teams, man. They just they they snap your heart in half in May. Or sometimes late April, but uh, but they just there's there's a lot to look forward to. Sometimes Do you guys March. have any other? I know you guys are bringing Judd's hockey show back uh, at full strength. Do you guys have any other final wild things before we get to a buffoon of the week? Yeah, I got I got one more. Um, it it just it, it all comes down to goaltending basically with this team. It, it's kind of the only unknown I would I would say of, of the group. Um, Mark Andre Fleury and Philippe Gustafson. You know, Mark Andre Fleury too back to the odds even uh, via FanDuel. So has a tenth best odds to win the Vesna. Going into this time last year, he was the reigning Vesna winner. Now, a lot of that's probably name. A lot of that probably has to do with his who he is, not necessarily being the 10th best goalie in the NHL. Um, but they have plenty of options in the future, too. Jesper Walstead's obviously the goaltender of the future. Um, they, they have plenty of options behind these guys that they can figure it out. And, you know, goaltending in hockey, it's a lot like putting on the golf course. It can mask everything that's terrible. It can fix everything that maybe isn't great. And also, it can shipwreck all the good things you're doing when it's com- when it comes down to that. It's it's, it's a very great, it's, it's a great it's, analogy. They're mm-hmm. they're very much the same thing. You know, Ricky Fowler for years couldn't do anything right, but putt. Now Ricky Fowler can't do anything right, yeah. right? And like, sometimes they can be based on lucky or unlucky stretches too, where you just yeah. like they're not falling in, or maybe they're just you know yeah. there's some some puck luck involved in smaller sample size. I like that's a good comparison. You can, you can make all the greens and regulations in the world, but if you can't putt and you can't finish the game. It's, it's not going to be a good time for you. So, yeah, it all does come down to that goaltending for the Wild. It's the, really the biggest question mark, I think, going into the season. Mm-hmm. All right, boys. There we go. Wild training camp firing up. Yeah, Judd's Hockey Show. If you haven't partaken yet, uh, you guys are going to be back full blast on the Judd's Hockey Show podcast feed. You can find those episodes on the Mackie and Judd podcast feed and also on the Score North YouTube channel. So check those out. And we will dive into more Timberwolves discussion, too. We've been going weekly with flagrant howls throughout the offseason. Kyle Tige and I, uh, Kyle Tige and me, 
Yeah, Kyle Tige and me. Yeah, join me. Yeah, tapping into Not that journalism me. degree from the University of Minnesota. Um, we had uh, Michael Grady, the new TV voice and face of the Timberwolves recently. Craig Kilborn on the show a few weeks ago, diehard Timberwolves fan. And then Dane Moore was on to help do a deep dive into Rudy Gobert and what the team could look like with him. So we've got we've got these little peripheral spinoff podcasts off of Mackie and Judd to highlight just Wolves talk, just wild talk. And I don't think we're going to be doing a lot of discussion about the Minnesota Twins unless there's big news in the coming months, unless there's an overwhelming audience turnaround in terms of interest. But I do have a buffoon of the week for you guys. Twins related. Just so many things over the weekend. I got my twins hat on. Oh, look at that. Twins Uh, bucket hat. Nice, Nice. dude. My bucket hat because I'm very very excited to talk about it. When did you get the bucket hat? Giveaway? When? I wasn't. I'm a season ticket holder. I would love the bucket hat. Dude, I was in the press box. I've given you bobbleheads. Chuck threw it at. Dude, it's all yours. Are you still allowed in the press box after all of the vitriol you've been? We're going to find out in the final six home games if my if my press pass still works. Or- no, here's what you do. So Dick Bramer finally blocked you on Twitter. So now yeah. all three of us have been. I don't think we've. You've been antagonistic. Declan and I were just like making innocent comments I've been antagonistic. about things. I've been. You've been antagonistic. Yes. I think right you should toes. block him in person. I think you should you should take it a step further. And when you run into him awkwardly in the elevator, you should say, "You're you you're blocked. I'm Richard, blocking how you." How are you? Very Let the elevator like. close. Yeah, I'm blocking you. You're not blocking me. I'm blocking you. You're <laughs> blocked. George. So, Stanton. my buffoon of the week here for you guys is the algorithm, the twins algorithm. Okay. So on Saturday night, seasons on life support. But correct me if I'm wrong. The team. Going into game two of the doubleheader, the team was still very much, okay, Oof, this has been rough, but let's let's win tonight. Let's win Sunday. Let's win Monday. Let's, let's turn this thing around. They had not waved the white flag going into game two of the doubleheader, at least, like, as far as we know. Right. So um, it's a must-win game. Carlos Correa has... Three weeks left on his $35 million one-year commitment he signed with the Minnesota Twins with two then player options on top of it. But it's it's possible this is the last three weeks that you're even going to have Carlos Correa. You don't know. It's up to him, right? The Twins elect to rest Carlos Correa by putting him in the designated hitter spot for game two of this doubleheader. And they run Jermaine Palacios out there at shortstop defensively and in the lineup instead. Because... The algorithm says, oh, it's time for a rest. We we can't possibly, in a must-win season-on-the-line game, the highest-paid infielder in baseball that physically may not be 100%, but, like, he's fine enough to be hitting in the in the second game. Yeah. Oh, we need to rest him. He needs to – he can't possibly play shortstop in this game. And so what happens, and I'm not trying to dump on Palacios because I actually think Palacios could be a serviceable utility guy at some point. But the poor guy is put into the spotlight here in a must-win season-on-the-line game. Goes 0 for 6 with eight runners left on base and then butchers a ground ball with two outs in the 15th that allows the game-winning run to score from third base. Palacios, by the way, is 0 for September at this point, and he just wasn't wasn't handling that ground ball in a calm way. 
because he's probably a little nervous being out in the middle of a pennant race, a pennant race in air quotes, you know, yeah. couldn't possibly have Carlos Correa play two games in one day because burp, 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 beep, burp, rest. So you the algorithm, the algorithm is my buffoon of the week for the Twins. You'll love this. So post game after that game. So after after Rocco and the boys had seen this, right? So so it's like, oh boy, we probably should have played Correa. Um, Rocco told reporters either after the game or Sunday morning. A lot of guys left the ballpark banged up last night. We are going to have to find time to sit more guys throughout the rest. Of he season. said this after the double header. After, or what? Yeah, so at, yeah, dude, so after what, like, what, are guys, are guys, do you guys have like like torn UCLs? Well, with, like what what are the? And here's the maddening thing: Arise is playing. He can barely walk or run, but you know what? He's playing because they need him to play. And by the and by the way, he's not complaining. He's just limping around. With this with is his, how baseball works. Yes. Well, guys feel also, like garbage at the end of eight months of spring training well, and a season. And this also leads me to a very simple question, too, which is this. So we are talking about, oh, the Twins have 17 guys hurt. I mean, how are they supposed to win when they're hurt? Here's my question. How many guys who are hurt really can't play? For instance, Polanco on Friday is deemed to be able to play for St. Paul in a AAA game. They hope to play him seven. He plays five. He's out. I'd like to know if he can play. Like, like when they just pull him out because they are so they are so adamant about sitting guys and resting guys and oh my god and I think Arise is basically told them screw you I'm playing. That's what well, I that's, think that's, he's done. That's and what that's what Pol- and I'll, I'll rip Correa a little bit too. That's what Correa should have said. Yeah, guys, right. we need to win this game. All due respect to Jermaine Palacios, this is not a game for Jermaine Palacios. Right. This is a game oh. for Carlos Correa. Not to be DHing, to be playing shortstop, period. You didn't sign me to that contract so that I could DH in the second game of, of uh in the second game of a double header against a rival who we are, in our opinion, competing with. That's what you should have told Rocco. I'm And playing. you know, I understand and I think this is where I was just brawling with like Twins Daily and other people on Twitter this weekend. Glorious. And the main point, because it's just the twins are trying to, hey, and rightfully so, like they're trying to save some face here. It's a second colossally disappointing season. And the twins are trying to say, oh, my God, the injuries are just and even on the broadcast for three hours. It's like, well, God, the injuries and look at this lineup. By the way, look at the bottom third of Cleveland's lineup every night. They're running out three of the like some of the worst seven, eight, nine hitters in baseball. And they're still, what, 12 games over 500, wherever they are. So injuries aren't a unique problem. Injuries have been a huge problem, so I'm not trying to downplay, like, not having Buxton. It is a problem. But people have taken it so far. They're just they're ignoring all the other things and decisions that are going into the core of why the Twins aren't better these last couple seasons. Right. And a decision like that to sit Carlos Correa on the bench defensively and put Jermaine Palacios out as if these guys are all beep, burp, 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 interchangeable in a game like that, right. unless you're waving the white flag, you're asking for that ball to get butchered. Well, we expect those guys to make plays. Well, come on. Really? <laughs> I mean, so, put your best players out there in a must-win game. They can rest soon enough, you know? So they can't run the bases. They're terrible there. I, I believe it was on, not surprisingly, the radio broadcast on Saturday, Atterbury brought up this point, too. I guess the the advanced 
metrics say infield wise the twins are terrible too defensively defensively infield wise they're not good yeah but anyway think... these are the points that, like this is so if you have guys hurt your your quote unquote best guys hurt which buxton is i would argue about the entire list of all that they lost you know miguel sano that was a blessing miranda's been great but the point is they have to win games and this is what drives me nuts in between the margins taking the extra base not being thrown out at third not yeah. being not not having your third base coach consistently get guys thrown out at, at home defensively right like if you're missing guys how do you win games you win games by being smarter and certainly more uh, sound at the little things that fans don't see but are incredibly important. And that's what drives me nuts here. Make plays in the infield. Run the bases smart. Take good at bats. Find ways to, if, if you have to, manufacture things. And they don't do that. They are a dumb baseball team. That's what drives me up the wall. There is another debate in that extra innings game because the Twins just, they don't, philosophically, they don't bunt. And I agree, largely, you should not be bunting for the most part because you're just giving away outs. Mm -hmm. But when you have hitters in your lineup, like Contreras, who's hitting like a buck, what's he hitting, like a buck 40 or something? Buck 20? Great muscle. Shouldn't be any close to an MLB lineup. No. Like has almost no chance of getting a hit yes. in extra innings. Like runner on second base. I get you're trying to you get a runner on second no. base. You're trying to you're you're probably trying to you're trying to score and give as many cracks at like putting a ball in the outfield as possible. But you're also maybe trying to score a crooked number. But at a certain point, when you have a guy like that at the plate, he's not going to get a hit. Statistically, he's not going to get a hit. He literally has like a twelve to fifteen percent chance of getting a hit in that spot. And so, if you look at, I'm not going to get into the weeds analytically here, but you actually have a better chance of scoring one run in an inning on average. Forget about the fact that the hitter is hitting 120, which helps this argument even more. You have a better chance of scoring a run in an inning with a runner on third and one out than having a runner on second and nobody out. Uh-huh. So if you have three great hitters coming up, yes, take your shot at one of them getting a single. But if you have a couple garbage hitters coming up, get move a guy to third. And they like they refuse to take context into right. some of these decisions. Correct. And another thing too with the injuries, so they've racked up two thousand injury days this season, which is like third most in baseball. And Cleveland has racked up like I want to say like a third of that. But if you look at the top ten players who've missed days, those top ten players for the Twins make up seventy five percent of their injury time. And those players are Kenta Maeda, who you've known about for a year. You had all offseason to plan for his departure. And you brought in Dylan Bundy and Chris Archer to replace Kenta Maeda. Those were choices that you made. You said 40% of our rotation is going to be made up of guys that can't pitch beyond four and two-thirds innings or that we don't trust. That is that is your decision as a front office. Randy Dobnak is on this list. Was he altering your season in any meaningful way? No. Was anyone saying, boy, if only the Twins No, had he's another Dobnack. guy. He doesn't count. Agreed. Uh, Jorge Alcala is a good reliever. Two years ago, he was worth .3 wins above replacement. So he's good, he's, but he's not like a lights out. He's not Duran. He's not a lights out, game-changing reliever. Is he nice depth? Yes. Is he a season-altering guy? No, he's, he was worth .3 wins above replacement. He can be replaced, exactly. Jean Romero, not a factor. Miguel Sano, I, I mean, 
Like Judd said, it's actually it's actually better that you swapped him out for Jose Miranda, right? Yep. Cody Stashak, another depth reliever guy, not a season-altering guy. Maybe you could say, well, yeah, but now you've lost two depth relievers. You can trade for depth relievers. And they did, right? Go get a, go get a Fulmer, whatever. Chris Paddock, big loss, self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. You took on a high level of risk trading for a pitcher that had a partially torn UCL at the end of last season. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the high risk you took on, you said, hit me, blackjack dealer. Like, are you sure, dude? You're sitting on 18. <laughs> Whatever. Like, like, well, no, we we got a feeling. We got a feeling yeah. about this one. And they were wrong. Like, it was, you know, I get that you're going to take some risks, but they took a risk. It was wrong. Uh, Daniel Columbe, or Colomb, however you pronounce it. No. Um, another, it's a, depth, it's a depth reliever, you know. And, and again, you add up the depth relievers. I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but let's put it all into context. Uh, Bailey Ober, good, solid, number four, number five starter. Probably at his best, like a two wins above replacement pitcher. So, again, it's a loss. Royce Lewis, I think, if he would have kept – Royce Lewis is probably the biggest loss because that's a guy that you could trust at shortstop, maybe in center field. Um, But going into the season, the reason they signed Correa is because they didn't expect Royce Lewis to be part of their plans at all, really, this season. Correct. (laughs) And that's why that's silly. Yes, I agree. I think what's happening is injuries are being painted as like 90% of the reason why this team faltered. And I'm saying it's actually more like 30%. Let's look deeper at some of the decisions that they've made and the things that are happening beyond injuries. Don't let injuries cover all the other things that they've done wrong. And you don't even have to look that deep, though. That That's the thing is watch the games. Like, how do you not watch the games and say this team does some of the stupidest things? Um, the self-inflicted wounds, and this is what drives me crazy, the self-inflicted wounds of this team across the board from the decisions on pitching, um, to to how they approach the game itself um, are so obvious on a nightly basis. Like, that's why I call this team despicable because they're a despicable collection to watch. They are, they do so much to defeat themselves before even worrying about the opponent. And, and that's, you know, and instead we look for, well, I mean, with all those guys hurt. And the other thing too is, okay, Buxton being out really hurts because when Buxton is healthy and playing, he's great. But if you sat down before the season and looked at the games that Buxton has played with his history and said, well, no, no, we can get him to 140 or something, you were crazy again. Dude, this is the second most games. This is the second most games he's ever played. Which is it's it's actually kind of a win. (laughs) But but I've spent two or three years saying if you don't like your options to replace Buxton when he's hurt, not if when he's hurt, then you need to go out and sign a center fielder who can play consistently out there, maybe hit a bit, but can be plugged in to replace him. If if you're a contender. Now now I will say this, and this question has not been asked nor will it be but here's the other question that is i think very pertinent when the season started what did the twins brass think of its chances because there is a very very good case to be made that the paddock trade was made in the face of it being stupid because they thought you know what we ain't that good if we lose him we don't care that much for 2022. Like that's what well, it says to me, but that's not being, but that's not going to be broached. Well, that's another thing that keeps getting brought up. Like the, 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 the twins defenders out there. Well, and this is correct, by the way, when I'm, what I'm about to say is correct, that most of the projection sites had them as kind of a 500 team that they, that even with Korea, that the expect, the expectation was that this was going to be about a 500 team. 
And so if you're the front office, you might say, well, yeah, we didn't, you know, even with Correa, we didn't really expect to. And my question would be, wait, we're six years into this thing. You're right. Why is the expectation that you're a 500 team in a week, in a division that was turned out to be much weaker? And yes, I know injuries play a role, but there's so much more than injuries that should be talked about. And I feel like it's just being washed away by, well, what are they supposed to do? <laughs> just don't be the worst base running team in the league. They are 30 or 35 runs worse just on the base pass than the best team or two at the top of that list. They are, I pointed this out too in, in fighting with people over the weekend on the internet. They are, it's like here are some of the things that are non sort of injury related if you want to dig a little, like if you've got bad hitters up with runners in scoring position, I get that. But third time through the order with their pitching staff, they have the, I think it's the, the worst or second worst OPS against third time through the order. It's like 200 points worse than the Rays who are great third time through the order. Why is that? Your starting pitching staff that you designed has been intact for 80% or more of the starts this season. Why are they so bad third time through the order? Either you're not doing something strategically to get them through a third time through the order, or you're signing pitchers like Bundy and Archer that are incapable of pitching a third time through the order, thus you tax your bullpen. It's like, it's not bad luck. It's it's decisions that are made. It's roster construction. Mm-hmm. So, anyhow. my last my last my last thing on it, and just honestly, I I have broken up with the twins, the twenty twenty two twins. Like I I have moved on. They are gaslighters. The defenders, everything about this team is gaslighting. You are holding on to some type of hope and some type of disbelief that everyone is telling you it is time to look elsewhere in your life and in in this aspect. And for whatever reason, you're clutching to these few things that only you believe in that you are trying to prove people wrong on. It's not working. You deserve something better in your life. You don't have to keep clinging on to the same damn thing over and over again. Am I talking about the twins or am I talking about my previous relationships? They both work. They both work. They are in the same web. You can move on and find something else, man. It, it's They are gaslighters. It, it's, it's Katie Thurston versus Versus Greg all over again from the Bachelorette, right, Phil? It's the same damn thing. I'm sick of them. I'm, There's some I'm gaslighting. I, I finally watched the finale for this last season. I, I jumped in at the last minute. There's some gaslighting last week too. Nice with the with the Bachelorettes. Nice. The Bachelorettes plural, by the way, Judd. They had two Bachelorettes. Oh wow, season. really? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyhow, all right, we got that off our chest. <laughs> all blocked by Dick now. We good. We're all blocked you by need, Dick. You, you're a little antagonistic. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help uh, Bally's without without combing through and checking the actual math. I think Judd added Bally Sports North in a tweet at least nine and a half times between Friday. And, <laughs> and you know what we got now, boys? The right-handed toast <laughs> right-handed with the surly. <laughs> Whenever they lose, I'm giving them a right-handed toast. All I'm trying to do is help with programming, with executive decisions. I can't take you seriously with the bucket hat. It's tough. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty funny because now you know what I am. I've joined the brigade, hopeless Homer. Go Twins! <laughs> I hope they, I hope they win fourteen to one to to cap off this to take the momentum into the last two weeks. All right, we'll see you guys. By the way, uh, Vikings vent line on the Purple Daily YouTube channel right after Vikings Eagles. We'll see you guys. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. It's crazy to think that a few weeks ago we were talking about whether or not Tua Tagovailoa should consider retiring. After two concussions and worldwide debates on player safety and NFL culpability, Tua has done nothing but go back to work 
and currently has the Dolphins riding a three-game win streak and one loss behind the division favorite Buffalo Bills. While everyone was yapping about the end of his career, Tua Tagovailoa said he'll decide when it's time. And clearly, he's not ready to hang up the cleats. Hi, this is Chris Howard from the Plugged In with Chris Howard podcast. BetOnline.net is your number one source for betting football and the start of the new basketball season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every game. BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting up to the minute scores for every the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including the MLB playoffs, the start of the NHL season, MMA, boxing, and golf. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.